We are super blessed to have our special guests with us all the way from the UK, Nikki and Sila. Come on up. While they're coming up, uh, we want to welcome some others who are here with us from Alpha. Uh, we've got Greg and Sue with us from Alpha Australia. I don't know where Greg's gone, but you're here, Sue, so he's taking photos. Um, and also a big welcome to Ryan, who's part of Alpha here in our local area. You feel like you're part of our church now, Ryan, pretty much. Been blessing with Alpha and the Executive Director of Alpha Australia, Murray Avril. So good to have you here with us. Can we welcome all the Alpha team who are here with us today as well? And a big welcome to you both, Sheila and Nikki. It's so good to have you here with us. I said the first service, we're a bit starstruck this morning because we've seen you on the marriage course and parenting courses over all these years. But thank you so much for coming to share with us in person. For those of you who don't know, Nikki and Sheila, they pioneered, authored the marriage course and the parenting course, which has blessed millions of people around the world from HTB, the home of Alpha, ministered alongside uh, Nikki Gumbel there as well. And so we feel so blessed to have you here this morning. So can we give, and I want to say too, before I give them a welcome, they are back tonight doing an interview style, particularly for um, focus for younger people as well, youth, young adults. So and for everyone though, if you're not a young person, come out as well. There'll be lots of blessing there. But if you know someone, come out tonight for that special interview. Can we give them a big, big welcome to Nikki and Sheila? Thank you Thank so you, much. Thank you, Nathan, so much. Gosh, so great to be here so with you. It's so wonderful to be here in this amazing church. We were already at the earlier service and it was just a wonderful atmosphere and um, we met some really tremendous people and God was here and he's here again now and we love being in Australia. I mean, we've come all the way from the UK and I tell you, this place is the dream. Blue sky and sunshine and a lovely, lovely breeze that caresses your skin and you just feel a million dollars. In, in the UK right now, it's blowing a 40-mile-an-hour gale and raining. So we are in much the best place, and we're thrilled to be here with you. And when Silla says we love Australia, that's true, but we particularly love Brisbane, because this is where the sun shines, we gather. <laughs> and being here has been such a joy. Thank you, Nathan, so much for your welcome. Uh, it's been an amazing, it's an amazing time for us. Now, in two days' time... Silla and I will be celebrating a major anniversary. In two days, we will have been married exactly 47 and a quarter years. I, I worked it out just before uh, today. Now, for some of you, that may sound a long time. But I read an article in the paper about a British couple who'd been married for more than 80 years. So that rather puts our marriage in perspective. And there was an interview with this couple who were called uh, Florence and Percy. Percy is 105, Florence is 100. And this is what Florence said. The marriage had been a success. Lovely British understatement. <laughs> because, she said, they still worked hard at it, never retired to bed on a quarrel. Uh, Percy's answer was more concise. <laughs> he attributed two words to the success of their marriage. Yes, dear. <laughs> Florence continued, it's not been easy, but worth every minute, because he's much more than my best friend. He's the love of my life. We don't argue much these days, only when I want to watch the soaps on television, which he hates. Uh, some of them might be Australian soaps, I suppose. We have had our arguments, but we work through them together. Uh, we always go to bed as friends and always make up before we go to sleep. Every night we kiss and hold hands. He can't settle down if I'm not holding his hand. 
Percy nods contentedly. Yes, dear, he says. <laughs> now, many people are asking the question today, how do you build lasting relationships? How do you build deep, close friendships that don't break down as a result of our inevitable differences, our differences of personality, different opinions, different perspectives, or, or don't break down as a result of the inevitable ways that we will hurt each other. How should we as God's people love one another? And the Bible is very practical. It tells us how, and there's one passage in particular that we come back to again and again from Colossians chapter 3. And it's wonderful that we heard it just now yeah. from the dedication. So someone's going to read yeah. a part of Colossians 3 to us. So starting at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May we pray as we sit. Lord, we thank you so much that you are here we thank you, Lord, for your word that you speak to us, and we pray you'd open our minds and our hearts to what you want to say to each one of us today. May the message of Christ shape all of our relationships. Amen. Now, let me just uh, for a moment put this passage you've just heard into context. In You see, in Colossians, and particularly at the start of chapter 3, Paul is writing to these Christians about the new life that they have in Jesus. And he's talking about this radical new start that they have. He says, you have died with Christ, risen with him to a new life. And then he becomes very practical. He writes about how we are to live this new life. And right at the heart of this passage that Silla's just read are three little words. He writes, put on love. And the love that Paul is talking about here is not just a feeling. It's about what we do. And it's as deliberate as when we got dressed this morning, when we put on a shirt or trousers, whatever it, it is we're wearing. Now, it's this love that caused the early church to grow so rapidly. It was the quality of the relationships that people saw between the Christians and the love that they showed to those uh, around them. And this love, Paul writes, comes from God. Notice 
the way that we are addressed. He says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy, that is, you're called, you're set apart, holy and dearly loved. You see, the, the first principle of Christian relationships is that we love out of knowing that we are loved by God. And this love that we are to put on is the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's available to every one of us when we start this new life in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, Paul writes elsewhere, fills our hearts with God's love. And our hearts are gradually changed as a result. Uh, Paul is very practical when he's writing. And, and so we have four practical points that we've drawn out of this uh, passage. And it's all about what it means to put on love in all of our relationships with our friends, in our family, at work, with our marriage partner if we are married, with our children or grandchildren if we have them, or in a dating relationship. And to help you remember them, they all begin with the letter P. And I'm going to do the first one and the fourth one, so we'll do the second and the third. And it may be this morning that there is one of these P's that is particularly important for you. And it may be there's a particular relationship that as we are talking, this, this is what is in your mind. And you're thinking and praying, I hope, how, how can I apply this to that relationship. Now, the first P is be proactive. And I take that from uh, where Paul writes about this list of clothing. And he says, clothe yourselves with kindness. A, a kind person is someone who knows what another person needs and puts themselves out to meet that need. Now, I don't know about you, but I find in our marriage, I it is so easy, rather than being proactive, to be reactive. That is, to react to what I find even faintly irritating. Now, you may think, after 47 and almost a quarter years of being married, after uh, running the pre-marriage course and the marriage course at our church, HCB in London, for more than 27 years, three times every year. You may think Silla and I had managed to uh, eliminate every irritating habit out of our marriage. There's nothing we do any longer that irritates each other, but I'm sorry you'd be wrong. There are still things, and because I'm speaking, I want to tell you something that Silla does. <laughs> uh, I have talked to her about it a number of times, so it won't come as a surprise to her. But you see, in our marriage, I, I'm always the first up in the morning. And the first thing I do is I put my dressing gown on, I go downstairs I, to make Scylla a cup of tea, which I then take back upstairs for her to drink in bed while she's still waking up. Now, if I get down there and Scylla has done the washing up the night before, and, uh, you know, I, I try to do my share of the washing up, but if she's done it, she has this irritating habit of not emptying out the washing up bowl. So that by the time I get down there in the morning, this washing up water is now cold and it's greasy. And the grease is now congealed around the edge of the washing up bowl. And it's worse than that. She leaves the washing up brush, what we wash the dishes with, in the water. I know you can hardly believe it, but it's true, honestly. 
It's happened quite a number of, any number of times. And I have to run up my sleeves, you know, run the hot water, fish this brush out, try to get rid of, of the grease. And I've talked to Silla about it a, a, a number of times over the last 47 and a quarter, well, nearly a quarter years. And I, it is true, she does it much less frequently than she used to. It's actually a family trait, I discovered. It happens in her parents' home. Uh, it's very encouraging because Nikki does the washing up more often than not. <laughs> now, I, I did say to Scylla, could she think of anything that I did that was still irritating? And I was rather disappointed. She came up with a very long list very quickly. I, I was amazed. And near the, t near the top of her list, she said, if we are going out of the house to meet someone and we're a little bit late... You, if I'm wearing leather shoes, she says, you still insist on polishing your shoes before we leave. You know, quick sort of brush up. Well, I, I think that's perfectly normal. If you're going to be late, at least arrive with clean shoes. Makes it slightly better. Stella doesn't quite see it that way. Relationships break down when all we do is react to each other's behavior. And being proactive is when we focus not on each other's behavior, but we focus on each other's needs. We know a couple called David and Teresa Ferguson, and uh, they'd been married for 30 years when we first met them. And I remember David talking about a change in their relationship. He said this, For the first 15 years of our marriage, I focused on my needs and Teresa's faults. For the last 15 years, I've sought to focus on Teresa's needs and my faults, and our marriage has been transformed. That principle of being proactive is true, not just in marriage. It's actually true in every relationship, every friendship, every family relationship. It's true with relationships at work, and the question that we need to ask ourselves is, do I know the needs of my friend or my mother or my husband or wife? Do I know their needs at an emotional level? When did we last ask them, how can I best help you or support you? As um, um, uh, Nathan said, we've been running the marriage course for many years at our church, HTB, and uh, on the marriage course, the conversations between a couple are always private, but these conversations are, are the, the sort of the heart of the course, conversations between a husband and a wife or, or a cohabiting couple if they want to come to work on their relationship. And um, often we will give them a little exercise to do first, and uh, in one of the ones, this is actually on the first session, we give them a list of 16 uh, needs or desires, emotional needs in particular. And we ask them, choose the three that are most important to you and then try to guess which are the most important to your husband or wife before you exchange your, your journals. And, and they're, they're things like a need for attention or support or affirmation or affection or comfort or security. There are 16 of them. And this is what one wife, her husband's called Steve, she said to us after that first session of the marriage course. She said, when we did that exercise, Steve put what was very important to him was affirmation. 
She said, I was shocked. He'd been a very successful partner in a large company and had an incredibly successful career. He was an upfront, upfront type of person who I didn't think needed a lot of affirmation. And I thought, I don't believe this. I'd been married to this person for 22 years. And the one thing he needed, I didn't realize. Being proactive is following the example of Jesus. Jesus, as he said, didn't come to judge us. He came to serve us. Jesus knows all of our needs. And he came to meet our greatest need of all by dying on the cross for us. You know, Paul uses the word kindness, the same Greek word kindness, twice in his letters for the way that we are to relate to each other. The other one comes in Galatians in the fruit of the Spirit. But Paul uses the same word seven times when he's talking about God's kindness towards us. And when he's writing to Titus, Paul describes the gospel like this, the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. The first secret to making relationships work is clothe yourselves with kindness. Be proactive. The second practical way that St. Paul urges us to put on love is to be positive. Now, we all know negative people are hard to be around. As Christians, whatever our situation, however challenging, we all have so much to be positive about, so much to be thankful for. And in this passage in Colossians, three times in three verses, Paul says, be positive about what you have. And I love that this morning here at church, we just started with thanking God. We were positive in our approach and, and perspective towards thanking God for who he is. And uh, in verse 15, it says, and be thankful. Verse 16, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And verse 17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And when we cultivate, literally cultivate, which is a wonderful word, sort of nurture and practice, um, a positive, grateful attitude, it affects all of our relationships and positive people are encouraging people. They see the best in others. Um, Nathan's already mentioned uh, someone that many of you may know, Nikki Gumbel, who um, it was the person who developed Alpha in our church. We've been colleagues for many years. But more than that, Nikki Gumbel and Nikki have been best friends since they were 13 years old. They were at school together. And actually, we came, as university students, we came to faith together as well. And now we have been colleagues in the same church in London for, for 38 years. Now, I want to tell you about Nikki. He is probably the most encouraging person I've ever met. And being around Nikki is just so amazing. And we know that we would not have done half of the things that we've ended up doing if it hadn't been for Nikki's encouragement. He was the one 
that said, you need to write a book about marriage. And we went, no, 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 no. We couldn't possibly do that. And I, I, can, did... can I just interject and say, I, I don't know if as a couple you've ever tried to write a book together. If you have, it's probably one of the most challenging things you've ever done in your marriage. When we were writing the marriage book, each of us would write a bit and then give it to the other. And I'd sometimes, you know, sort of write a page and Scylla would look at it and say, yeah, but you haven't expressed the feelings. And then she'd write another 16 pages and this book was getting longer and longer. I just try and draw that 16 pages back into a paragraph to add the feelings And I was in. really up against it because Nicky, before he was ordained, he was a teacher an English teacher. So he, I used to, you know, write all this passionate stuff and then I'd get this manuscript back with red all the way through it, crossed out, crossed I, out. I did try out. to be positive, my darling, all the way through. <laughs> no, it took us three years to write that book, but we would never have written it if it hadn't been for Nicky Gumbel encouraging us and urging us on. And, you know, it really is. Encouragement is like giving people courage. We all lack courage. We lack confidence. We feel inadequate. We think, I can't do this. But actually, the power of encouraging words is amazing and so important, whatever the relationship is. But it's not only the, the words that we speak, it's actually the way we speak it. And um, we, Nikki and I have um, four um, grown-up children, a daughter and three uh, sons. And our middle son is Corbani. And um, when Barney was aged about 14, um, I realized that our relationship was actually not going very well. And the, the really tough thing was I realized that I was the problem. And I remember one day Barney said to me, Mom, you are always so stressed with me. Well, that really took me up short and... And I reflected and I thought, gosh, that's not very nice. It's not very nice being around someone who is stressed. And I, I realized sort of in, 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 on reflection, it was because of all of our kids, I was worried most about Barney, I think. And if any of you are doing the Parenting Children course, there are more stories about Barney than all the rest of the children put together. <laughs> um, and... You know, I was worried about, as a teenager, where he was, who he was with, what he was up to, and he'd walk in through the door, and I'd be on him, you know, where have you been? And, um, and my voice, I realized, would get higher and higher, and I'd be more and more critical, whatever he did. And actually, we had to sit down and have a really meaningful conversation, and that helped a lot. I mean, it was quite humbling, I have to say, but at the end of that, I realized... I needed to say to him, okay, I'm going to give you permission to tell me when uh, I'm getting stressed. Because what I discovered was I didn't even realize I was doing it. And so, you know, over the next weeks, um, I really struggled. It was really hard to break that sort of pattern of the way I communicated and, and to turn it around to be more positive. And I actually, I was so thankful I could call out to God and I kept saying to Nikki, I need your help, we need to pray, I've got to think about how I can be positive in my attitude. And you know, after not really very long, 
our relationship was turned around. It really, really transformed it in a way that I, I couldn't believe. And, um, and you'll be glad to hear that Bonnie is now 37 and we have a really nice relationship. <laughs> and Nikki and I know, and we found in our relationship that the more we express, and it is this thing of expressing it, saying it, don't just think it, expressing our appreciation, to each other, the more appreciative we become of each other. And that is true of every relationship. A third practical way that Paul urges us to put on love is to be patient. This, for some of us, is very challenging. Verse 12, clothe yourselves with patience, bear with one another. Relationships are spoiled through a quick temper. And Paul says in a, a few verses earlier in Colossians 3, rid yourselves of all anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And I think we all know that, you know, being in a home, being in a workplace, being in a marriage where um, it is stressful like that, we can't relax if we never know where the next explosion is going to come from, or the next mood, because that is equally um, kind of like walking on eggshells. And I recognize for myself that it's lots of different things that cause my temper to be short. Maybe it's when I'm tired, or perhaps when I am worried and anxious, or under some kind of stress, I'm worried about something that's very stressful. Or, and I think this was a big thing during the pandemic, there was so much uncertainty for people about their lives and about what, what was happening and the future. But one thing above everything that causes a quick temper is when anger is buried. Anger is unresolved. One psychologist said this, an emotion is never buried dead, it's always buried alive. Anger held inside us becomes hate. And the key to patience, the key to bearing with one another, that beautiful phrase, comes in the next verse, verse 13. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Martin Luther King said, forgiveness is not just an occasional act. It is a permanent attitude. And I think that's why Jesus, in the prayer that he gives us to pray, when his disciples ask, how should we pray? The Lord's Prayer. He encourages us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And I need reminding of that. I, I try, but I'm not very good at praying that Lord's Prayer every day. And it is really good because it reminds me, is there someone I need to forgive today? Now, of course, that is really challenging. Forgiveness is not easy. It is costly. It costs us something. It costs us something of our self-pity, of our pride. And so often we feel the need for revenge. I want to tell you a story about um, a wonderful Christian couple that um, Nikki and I got to know um, a number of years ago now called Gordon and, and Joan Wilson. And Gordon and Joan had three children and they lived in Northern Ireland 
and they brought their three children up in a really tough time in that um, place in Northern Ireland during the 70s, 80s, 90s, when um, there was a lot of sectarian violence and the IRA were doing all kinds of appalling things. And on the Remembrance Day in 1987, um, there was a service at the Cenotaph in their town, Enniskellen, and Gordon with his daughter Marie, who was a nurse in her early 20s, they were at that service. And the IRA set off a bomb. And the building behind Gordon and Marie collapsed and collapsed on top of them and some others. And they were buried under the rubble. And the emergency services had to come and they had to try to rescue these people out from under this rubble. And that day... Um, Marie, actually in hospital, she died, but Gordon, her father, survived. And on that very day, the BBC interviewed Gordon. And I just want to um, share with you what happened and what he said. He described his last conversation with his daughter as they were lying buried under the rubble. She held my hand tightly and gripped me as hard as she could. Daddy, I love you very much. Those were her exact words to me. And those were the last words I ever heard her say. But I bear no ill will. I bear no grudge. Angry talk is not going to bring her back to life. She was a great girl. She loved her profession. She was a sweetheart. She's dead. She's in heaven. And we shall meet again. I will pray for these men tonight and every night. An English historian who was looking back on the troubles in Northern Ireland a number of years later wrote this, no words in more than 25 years of violence in Northern Ireland had such a powerful emotional impact. And Gordon Wilson, having lost his daughter in that tragedy, he went on to become an absolutely key part in the peacekeeping process in Northern Ireland for the rest of his life, seeking to bring healing between those groups that were fighting each other, Protestant Catholics and others, and helping them to live in peace together rather than in revenge. And Paul says, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. However big a thing, However difficult the forgiveness is, it will be, never be bigger than what Jesus has forgiven us for on the cross. He's seen it all. Before we put up the last P, I want to see if you can remember what the first three are. So the first P is be proactive. Well done. Second P, be positive. And the third P... Be patient. And the fourth P is be peaceful. And by that, I mean be full of God's peace. As St. Paul writes, just after that little phrase, put on love, he writes, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You see, when we're at peace on the inside, we can be at peace on the outside. It's when we know that we're loved by God. That's where the peace comes from. 
we're able to love others. I want to finish by telling you about a couple called Billy and Debbie. Uh, Billy and Debbie were in their 30s. They'd been married for eight years. They had no church involvement at all. And when Billy's dad died, he made a conscious decision to harden himself and not let himself get close to anybody again because he didn't want to be hurt again like, like he had been by his father dying. He became uh, bad-tempered and not much fun to be around. And then a little while later when uh, Debbie's mother died and Debbie was very upset, Billy said Debbie hadn't been much help to him, so why should he help her? Instead, he started blaming her that their marriage was falling apart. Well, Billy and Debbie went on a romantic weekend to Paris, because that's where we go in Europe, to try to rekindle their love. And they said they still loved each other, but they couldn't talk to each other. Debbie said our relationship was coming to an end. Everything was just going rapidly downhill, and I couldn't fix it, and neither could Billy. And it was at that point that they met some Christians, and these Christians invited them to do Alpha in their home. And uh, there were about 10 or 12 people. They met in this couple's sitting room. And uh, then after the meal, Peter said they were going to watch a talk on the TV. And Debbie thought, gosh, that sounds boring. But she said the, the film, the talk, and then the discussion afterwards were really fascinating. And both of them got more and more excited about what they were hearing. And it was after the third week of Alpha, by which time Debbie had already committed her life to Christ, that Billy sat on his bed at home and he said this to God, Lord, I've lived in this world for 32 years without you. And I've just heard about you for the first time. I'm so, so sorry for all the things I've done wrong. I need you in my life. And then he described what happened. He said, as the weeks went on, I started to forgive everyone who'd ever hurt me in my life. And I felt the bitterness being lifted from my heart. And Debbie said, after that, our marriage began to mend big time. It felt like we just started all over again. And all those years before were just nothing. I felt like I hadn't lived. I felt like I was opening my eyes for the very first time, seeing everything new and fresh. As for Billy, he was like a new person more loving, more caring. I fell in love with him all over again. And Billy concluded like this, what God has done in my life is amazing. I was the most ungentle person you've ever met. And God has come into my life and turned it around. Patience wasn't a virtue for me. I didn't have it. But now I find I rarely get angry. I don't raise my voice. I couldn't possibly have made that much of a change in myself on my own. There is only one person responsible, Jesus. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I don't think Billy knew it at the time, but that's a pretty good summary of what Paul is writing about to the Colossians. It's all about Jesus. And he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Put on love today and every day. Be proactive. Clothe yourselves with kindness. Think about how can I act in kindness towards other people I, who are around me. 
Clothe yourselves. Be positive. Uh, think about how you can express appreciation, how you can encourage another person. Be patient. Are there people that I need to forgive today? And then be peaceful. Let the love of God fill you. Would you like to stand, please? And we'd love to pray with you. Know the Lord is here, as we've said. His Spirit is moving amongst us. And Jesus says that our Father in heaven loves to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Doesn't give any other qualification, just says to those who ask him, ask and you will receive. And I'd love to do that right now, to ask God to pour out his Holy Spirit into every single person's heart here today. So as we stand, if you like, you could hold your hands out in front of you. It's just a little sign between you and God saying, Lord, I want to receive from you everything you have to give me today, everything you want to say to me. I'd like to close your eyes. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you know every one of us here. You know all about us. You know all of our needs and you know all of our relationships. And we come to you, Lord to pour your love into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, send your Holy Spirit right now. Right now, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us again. Now, let's wait. You may feel something. You may feel nothing. But God loves that prayer. Loves it when we ask him, come Holy Spirit. And for some of you right now, there's a particular person that God has brought to your mind. Maybe that he's brought them to your mind all the way through this, this service or this talk. But right now, you're very conscious of this particular relationship with someone. And I think that the Lord is doing that deliberately because... He wants to give you an opportunity. Whether that is, you know you need to encourage that person. There are things you can say to them today, tomorrow, when you next meet them. Say thank you or to appreciate something they've done for you. To encourage them. Or it may be it's a person in your family or a neighbor or somebody at work and you could reach out to meet a need that they have. You could support them in some way. And just ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? I just felt um, as I was listening to the Lord before this service, I was reminded of literally two days ago here in Brisbane, I was talking with someone in a different 
um, area neighborhood of Brisbane, and I was looking at this creek and then and then the grass, and the grass was all brown. And he said, oh yeah, that's really unusual. Normally things are really, really green here because we have a lot of rain and it stays green and so on, but it's really quite brown and dry. And I felt the Lord say, there may be some people here this morning who, there's nothing sort of terrible about your relationship, but you feel dry in your relationship with somebody. And it doesn't feel flourishing. I think, you know, God wants our relationships to be flourishing, to be fruitful, to bring joy. And, and I was um, reminded of, of Jesus in John chapter 4, speaking to the woman at the well. And um, he says, and it, it's like about how do we do this in our own strength? We can't. We can't. But actually, he says, everyone who drinks this water from this well will be thirsty again. It's like we can't do it in our own strength. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, there are many um, ways to um, take that in and understand it and what it means. Uh, but he talks earlier about, I'm going to give you living water. And I know in my own life that living water is where I have to go and say, fill me again with your living water that out of me would flow your love, out of me would flow the patience, out of me would flow all the things we've talked about. So I just want to encourage you, go to the source, which is Jesus. Ask him to fill you with that life-giving water of his spirit to bring that slightly dry relationship into a place of flourishing again. Lord, thank you that you love to pour out your spirit as we ask you. And I pray that for someone who doesn't really know how to do it humanly in their own strength, Lord, they would ask you and receive fresh water, your living water, to renew and restore this dry relationship. Thank you so much that you love to come when we ask you. I think as well for some of you, when Scylla was talking about forgiveness, you were very aware of someone who has hurt you, maybe slightly, maybe very deeply, that you need to forgive. And um, I... I you may have struggled to do this in the past, but in the light of what Scylla said, with Jesus' help, with the help of his spirit, I want to give you an opportunity now to express forgiveness towards that person or those people. And I want you, just for a moment, to imagine in your mind's eye the person who has hurt you is standing in front of you. Picture them. And then say silently, uh, their name and say you you hurt me by doing this or by not doing that but today I choose to forgive you and forgiveness is always a choice before it's a feeling I choose to forgive you as the Lord has forgiven me for everything I forgive you. 
I let go. And Lord, I put that hurt, that injustice, I put it into your hands. You are the Lord of love. You know that person. I put the hurt into your hands and ask that you would deal with that person or those people. And help me, Lord, now. Help me. Give me love in my heart for them. Help me to pray for them, Lord. And I want to assure you, if you've prayed that with me, the Lord has heard you. He's seen. And he loves that. This is where he loves to bring his love, his spirit. And Lord, I pray that your peace would now come. Your peace fill that person's heart, those people's hearts, Lord. Fill them with your peace, with your love. Restore hope. And I think for some of you, it's restoring a lightness to you, a lightness in your step. This has weighed you down, for some of you, for a long time. And this is the freedom that Jesus brings. Set us free from hurt, upset, disappointment, failure of relationships. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing here, all across this room right now. Thank you, Lord. We pray that you would continue. And I, can I just add this? Where we've done that act of forgiving, making a choice. Sometimes it's where we've been hurt deeply. We need to go on choosing. Sometimes day by day, choosing to forgive that person. And as we do so, asking the Lord to fill our hearts with his love, Slowly the power, the memories lose their power. The hurt become, the Lord heals that hurt. And we become whole and free again.